because we've partnered with you guys and we've been drinking your delicious coffee for like how long? Yeah. Yeah, we're more than a year, yep. right? And uh, so you, you hear a little bit about what you guys do, but we want to get to know the people that God has placed in our community. So um, can you just give us a little bit of a rundown how you guys met? Like, you've been married? How long has it been going? Sure. Um, we met in um, 1995. We met online back when online dating wasn't a thing it was still a little scandalous at the time (laughs) new thing and um we met and started a family right away um we have four children and um, we actually started going to we were not we were not christ followers when we met we were not believers we started going to grace polaris um Would that be better? Um, I don't know if it's going to be. Okay, no worries. Sorry. That's okay. So Grace Grace Polaris, I don't know if you, it's a Grace Brethren Church, Mm -hmm. a big one in Columbus. And we chose that church because it was very large and we could be anonymous. And yet we could still be good parents by taking our kids to church every week. So that's kind of how we chose that big church where our kids could plug in and get involved. And our neighbors would say, those are good people taking their kids to church every Sunday. That was important to us. Um, And uh, we could still just sort of blend in or sometimes not even go take the kids and then go get breakfast. Ah, It was great. Yeah, it was great. (laughs) <laughs> but that's where we actually met Jesus at the Grace Brethren Church in Columbus. Yeah, we attended a, a Sunday school class called Starting Your Walk with God, and we were kind of like, oh, it's holy rulers, are we really doing this? But, <laughs> but it was presented, I mean, I grew up kind of Catholic, I was an older boy, but uh, it was presented from a business person, really, a lot of apologetics and stuff, explaining why we believe what we believe, and it was yeah. like, when oh, was somebody going to tell me this stuff? So, <laughs> so we uh, have a soft spot in our heart for... Grace Church. 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 We're very, very glad you're here. So, um, the name word gloves. Where, where does that come from? It's uh, really, it's kind of a silly name, but we kind of came up with it. And God really kind of gave it to us. It was really about mobilizing us as a church. Um, when you're when, when you're going to go out and do hard work, you put gloves on and get to work. And really, the idea by Matthew nine thirty seven that the work is plentiful and the workers are few. So, really, just trying to mobilize folks to get them out working instead of just talking about it. That's what that's where that came from. We talked to a lot of marketing people after we came up with the name, and they're like, that's a stupid name. And, <laughs> you know, it's really not related to what you're doing and stuff. But we, so we kind of hunkered down and prayed about it, and God says, I already gave you a name. So, so we've answered that question literally a thousand times over the last 10 years. I bet. I bet. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, you, you said that you were growing up, you were taught to value what many might call the American dream. Study hard, go to college, get a good job, buy a bigger, bigger house. So what experience did you guys have maybe with poverty growing up? My dad, I mean, he was a union carpenter in Cleveland, Ohio, and he literally beat into us that concept. You, know, you are going to make a better life for your kids than I gave you. And and uh, really no experience with poverty. I mean, um, other than the fact that I assumed that they were all just lazy or... Uh, you know, they weren't working hard enough. That's why they were living in poverty, you know, and there were, back in those days, hobos and bums, you know, <laughs> just uh, it's a different different lifetime. But um, really just I assume that they were uh, working the system or just lazy. So that was really my only experience really was, was poverty. In the something. 80s growing up, it was all the poor people lived in Africa. I didn't see any people around me. My eyes weren't open to it. I'm, I know they were there, but I was... Um, very sheltered and um, 
we gave once in a while to feed the children in Africa, and that was our checkbox for helping the poor. Not much exposure. Yeah, I would say that that's that's maybe pretty similar to a lot of people's experiences even now. Mm. You know, would you? What would you say to somebody who would, who at this stage of their life, would say, "Well, you just identified my experience." Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's well, it's truth. It's truth. You know, I mean, we know that there are folks in distress living out there and stuff, but uh, we're not sure how to deal with it, and we're not sure how to interact with them, so we kind of avoid. You know, but really, as Chris follows, we don't really have the option of avoiding people that God puts in our path. So we've got to kind of change that. So that's why we're honored to be here with you today to and share also, what we've learned. Having eyes to see, you know, yeah. we don't always have that, especially when before we were believers and before the Spirit was showing us the people and the and the um, the loss and the tragedy around us. We didn't see it because our eyes weren't open. For sure. And you can have those, even when you think your eyes are open, you can have those blinders on because you kind of prioritize things that you, okay, this is what needs to happen. And then anything that's in that peripheral, maybe you kind of agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, know a little bit about your guys' story. Uh, from what I understand, you sold everything in 2009 to live in an RV among homeless people. Mm -hmm. So what did God do in your hearts that brought you making that decision? Mm -hmm. That's a, seemed like a long time ago, but I mean, we were about five years into following Christ um, and kind of were like, oh, what's the next thing we're supposed to do? You know, we're so mission trip. So let's go on a mission trip, you know, and that Saturday, that Sunday uh, in a church here in Ocala, a guy came up and says, hey, we have some open spots to a trip to Romania in a few months. Do you guys want to go? We're like, sounded like it was kind of God directed. So let's just do it. So we did it in 2005, 2006. We went on one trip and then we led the next trip. And uh, it's really what kind of spurred our hearts, just interacting with gypsy kids in the Carpathian Mountains, where we just saw so much joy in them and, and uh, you know, folks living in such distressed situations, three and four generations in a mud hut and really uh, discriminated and, and uh, difficult life, life for them. And we kind of came back and just thinking, what in the world are we doing with our lives? I mean, how we actually have more of an impact and it wasn't about maintaining this 4,000 square foot home and driving my BMW around and European vacations every year. So we just decided to chunk it all. So we moved into the bus really with the idea of minimizing and uh, seeing where God was going to lead us. So that was really what we just decided to do. And That's something. It's something. It was def a definite calling. Yeah. I mean, it was a blast. Yeah. It was and, awesome. and so you guys, you have four kids. How old are the kids? They're between 35 and 22. Okay, so now. kids now. Are, so, so at the time, they were... So at the time, our three older children were already sort of transitioning out of the home. One was graduating college, one was going into college, one was going into military. Um, and we had our 12-year-old daughter still at home. Um, it was time to downsize anyway. We just really downsized to wow. 300 square feet. And um, we asked her, you know, are you, you know, what do you feel about selling everything and traveling around the country in a bus and she was like cool when do we go like really? we, we were all just really like sounds great no big deal let's do it so yeah like god wired us for 30 it 30 days in to that trip she's still cool she was cool with it the whole wow. four and yeah. a half years we lived Crazy in the bus god. yeah she, was and she went from her own suite basically in her house to <laughs> yeah. uh you know her everything her she owned fit in like 10 square feet 
from 400 square foot bedroom to 10 square foot cupboard. Everything you own has to fit in there. Make it make a decision. And she had no problem editing. Wow. So so like for maybe some people who are who are listening to this, you know, like uh, maybe they're in ministry, they have kids, and they're thinking, okay, God has placed this call in my life, but that's going to affect my kid or yes. kids. I mean, I can't think of a more of an effect than what your daughter went through. What would you say to someone who's kind of trying to navigate that? We were um, we were considered um, crazy by all of our friends and family. How could you possibly do this to your daughter? You mean you're gonna you're gonna go to campgrounds and state parks and rest stops and Walmart parking lots and you're gonna do what with homeless people? She's 12. Like, isn't that really super dangerous? Um, and we just. Um, didn't listen. We just felt like we knew it was God's will for our life. We knew this was a calling for our life and for her life. And we knew that if we remained in God's will, that there was just so much peace in that. It wasn't necessarily safe, but there was peace and joy. And um, it was where we knew we needed to be. One thing we really learned about that too is it's really, I mean, parents are really concerned about their uh, kids' salvation. They really want their kids to understand what we believe and why, and they want them to accept Christ for sure. Um, it's one thing to talk to your kids about what you believe, and it's nothing to show them. So uh, she, was a, she experienced life like uh, uh, you can't imagine, just in homeless camps and in prostitution ministries and human trafficking ministries. It just really was outstanding. So she really grew and just uh, learned. She for sure learned what we believe. So and it was why? Well worth it. Yeah. And her world worldview now is so different from our older three children who grew up very entitled. Um, that was my follow-up question. Yeah. Like, wow. I mean, for the, yeah. for, the, for the older kids, I'm assuming they're like. Um, they still think we're crazy. Oh, okay. yeah, a little okay. bit. Okay. Yeah, they get yeah. it, but I'm they're like. <laughs> but she she really gets it and she understands it. She's a senior at Florida State now. Nice. Yeah. But it's the only negative thing you said so far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, just I'm just giving you our time. Oh, sorry. okay. <laughs> like, what is it? No, sorry. sorry. Um, okay, that's incredible. That, that's that's yeah. wow. Like, you think you think about ministry and lives and ministries with families and, like, that's that's incredible to, to see that, that kind of ministry in her own life and see how God kind of used that time to... I'm sure that probably solidified some thoughts in your guys' minds, too, as she bought it, I would think. For sure. Absolutely. And it has continued with the ministry. I mean, God, and I think he does this in all of our lives, but he continues to bless us when we take steps. Even though we don't know where we're leading, you know, we take steps because he's directing it and he blesses it. So we didn't expect that going in with Madison, that she was going to experience that. We would have done it just for that that respect, you know, but as we continue to grow the ministry and stuff, we continue to take steps that don't necessarily make sense, but we're directed by him and he blesses it. And he continues to bless it, bless it, bless it. So, so, so transition a bit from, from your guys uh, directly to kind of the organization of what it was. So, so you guys serve here, here in Ocala predominantly. So what's what's different about wearing gloves from maybe some of the uh, ministries that we work? Yeah, we are a five hundred one c three nonprofitable chair nonprofit charitable organization, um, and there are uh, hundreds and hundreds of those in Marion County. Um, we're not a social service though; we are a social enterprise. So we have a business model where we um, invite people to come in and learn skills and uh, receive some training. Um, and they work and earn what they need. It's not given to them as charity. They've earned it. And um, 
our, our kind of our model is dignity, not dependency. Um, the enterprise part is uh, basically the coffee and other products that we create and sell and, and produce and market as a business um, with 100% social benefit. Um, so we're the only social enterprise in the Central Florida area right now that's kind of doing it that way. There are a lot of them nationwide and we kind of learned a lot and gleaned a lot as we were traveling around the country. Um, and um, yeah, we are different, um, but we are still building into people. Um, by not giving but by teaching yeah and it's not even you know there's a there's a um, phrase you can give a fish or you can teach them how to fish but we really try to model our everything we do with our mission after what Christ did and what he did with fish was he went fishing with people he got in the boat and he said let's throw the net on this side and see what happens um, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get in the boat with people and really do life with people and help them move forward. So many like things are going off in the head. Yeah, it's a lot. That's incredible. <laughs> so, so uh, as I understand, we have wear gloves, dignity center, dignity roasters, church in the garden. So, um, what are okay. the differences in those segments? So, wear gloves is the ministry. Okay, that's the five hundred one c three. Those other three things you mentioned are our initiatives. Okay. So it's Church in the Garden was our first initiative. We learned as we traveled around. Really, the five years that we did on the bus was just more of a uh, learning time. We just immersed in poverty and distress situations and learned a lot how to better love folks. So one of the things we learned out on the road is that street folks generally don't feel very comfortable coming to our corporate church settings. You know, they don't smell right or look right or they worry about how they're being perceived. I mean, a lot of the women would tell us that uh, ladies in the church look at my shoes and bother them so first thing we did we got back to Ocala was start church in the garden which is a church that meets outside um, for folks that live outside so that was the initial intent we meet under the large oak tree over by the interface warehouse we started five and a half years ago really with that intent but it's kind of grown into a, a kind of huge event now we're um, meeting twice a month and they're getting um, anywhere from 100 to 270 people there every service so it's kind of we have a pastor that we raised up that runs it again we uh, allow God to change that so it was our intent to have that service but really our all of our initiatives are about how do we best love this person that God has put in front of us so we learned that um, we started Church and Garden similar to this, where we would have uh, speakers and stuff. But we learned that, I mean, the greatest uh, um, gift you can give somebody is to love them to serve, right? So, I mean, it's greater to give than receive. We learned that scripture in Acts. But we often take that uh, greater blessing from folks we hope to serve. So by raising people up. So at Church in the Garden, it's primarily ran and managed by street folks. So they're the ones that are reading scripture and playing in the band and passing out communion and, and folks. So we have a lot of church folks that are there, but their job to serve is to allow folks to serve them. So that's kind of uh, how it's kind of evolved. And we also have three different churches that serve every church in the garden. So Church in the Garden is one of the initiatives that we're those kind of overseas. From Church in the Garden, we learned that it's really difficult, contrary to my upbringing, upbringing and really difficult for folks that live on the street to get work. I mean, they, uh, if you hire somebody, it's really difficult to give somebody who's an intent to job. You know, there's too many other options for uh, business. So so we started the Dignity Center, which is simply a place where we allow folks in need to earn what they need. Again, greatest commandment, love God with others. It's a better way to love folks, to allow them to earn it, as opposed to it being charity. 
they feel better about it and they leave. Somebody needs a bike to get around, you allow them to work for you for three hours and leave with the bike that they earned, it's a better way to love than giving it to them, All right? So from the Dignity Center, um, it kind of evolved into we have a lot of folks that want to move from their cars or from the streets into housing. So we weren't able to generate enough income selling pallet art and soap and candles and stuff to generate enough income to actually house folks. So we started Dignity Roasters Coffee. And I tell you, really, God started Dignity Roasters Coffee because we're not smart enough to pull off that. <laughs> it's complicated. It's uh, tricky. Uh, but it's again, like Wendy said, it's that social enterprise where we're employing folks in need. So distressed folks are the ones that roasted the coffee they can drink. They're the ones that grind it and bag it and ship it. So it's all jobs that we've created to, again, allowing them to earn what they need. So that is uh, all the proceeds that come from Dignity Coffee goes directly into housing. So we have, I think, 13 families or people now that are working at the Dignity Center in our cafe to earn money to stay housed. Okay. So. I, what I love uh, in listening through what you're saying is we allowed God to change it. Can, can you tell us more about that? Yeah. It, it's different every day. Yeah. We, um, we started out making pallet art and... Um, t-shirts. Pressing, yeah, printing t-shirts and doing bicycle repair about four years ago. We don't do any of that now because it wasn't uh, what was best for our clients. Um, they needed to learn different skills. They needed social skills. They needed to be able to interact with the public. Um, we needed a recurring revenue stream. And pallet art is only sellable in November and December, basically. So, um, yeah, always being open to change. It's not. It's definitely not our ministry. Um, we don't own it. I, don't, I feel like no con no connection to any part of it because it's his. And I'm really just we're just really along for the ride. Yep. And he changes it all the time. Really a big thing, um, and it's kind of the basis of all of our initiatives also, is understanding where value comes from. I mean, we uh, just need to kind of get past the idea that somebody's not worth as much as us if they are in a distress situation, you know, or if they're living a lifestyle that's in a distress situation, either prostitution or whatever. I mean, we get our value from being made in God's image. That's where it comes from. So we need to be able to see that in folks that we tend to look down on. You know, so uh, bringing folks into our dignity center and working for us and stuff, they start feeling that value again. They can kind of beat down in that situation of standing in feed lines and stuff. It's very uh, demeaning and they kind of get an us and them kind of concept and stuff. So we start allowing folks to earn it and uh, relating with other folks and stuff and they start feeling that again. So they start feeling value, then they're interested in moving forward. So, so for the distressed that are here in, in our neighborhood, here in Cal, right, where, where God has placed us, what, what are the things we need to know about these folks? What, what are maybe some misconceptions? You know, what would you do for them? We, ha we had a lot of misconceptions um, until we spent time in camps and under bridges and in the desert with nomads and in the forest with the rainbows until we really dug in and started to learn. We, we realized how ignorant we were about people that look different than us. Um, and some of the very common misconceptions are that they're all addicts and they're all lazy. Um, we've found that not to be true at all. Um, we have more people lining up at our door that want to work and earn what they need and not receive charity than we actually have seats for. You know, there's more, more people willing to work than we have work for. So that was a huge, a huge one for me is, is their willingness to 
to um, to dig in and to figure it out and to set goals and to move forward. Nobody grows up saying, I want to be homeless when I grow up. You know, there's some sort of underlying um, common thread is usually a tragedy that has happened in their life. Some, you know, major trauma in their family, a death or a house burned down or a job loss or an accident, injury or something. And there's a that's a very common thread. So there's trauma that they need to get through. Um, in addition to learning skills and becoming productive citizens again, but they want to. I mean, the majority of the people, mm-hmm. majority of the 200 people that come to church in the garden want to have a different life and want to move forward and are willing to put in the work. I think another big factor too, which we really learned was, um, I mean, us as a church, I mean, it's our goal to, to folks to experience the love of Jesus. So they um, head towards him. Many of our street folks, even though they're living in a very distressed situation, are believers. We just kind of assumed that they were lost because they're addicted to opioids or living on the streets or living a lifestyle that's not Christ-centered, um, but that couldn't be far from the truth. Many of them spend a lot more time in the Bible than I do. You know, so there's some really strong brothers in Christ that pray for us just like your pastor does every week, um, live in tents. You know, so just going over that, that uh, understanding but just because they're in that situation, they're not necessarily lost. Sure. So uh, can, you, can you share with us some of the partnerships that you guys have that you're excited about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a lot of exciting things happening. Um, the city of Ocala um, is a great um, advocate and partner with us. They've recently donated a 15-passenger van to oh. us from their fleet. Um, and, the, and the county actually had it wrapped you know, for us. Um, so that's been a great help with getting people from group homes to our job facility or recovery houses or shelters and bringing them in because they want to work. They just don't have a way to get there. Um, the city is also um, adding us as one of their vendors. So they're going to start hiring our folks to do some of the, the work there at the city, which is pretty cool. That's great. Yeah, yeah, really, really big. Um, there are other... Um, Large manufacturers in town, uh, Closet Made is one of them, that outsource work to us, 112,000 pieces and parts every week. They bring in on a big semi and we process the parts and, and ship them back every week. And um, they're a great advocate for the work that we're doing and a great support. Um, the Freedom Counseling Center provides mental health workers that come in to our facility. Um, to help with group therapy and individual mental health counseling. Um, Department of Children and Families partners with us to allow us to provide computer access and training right in our facility. Um, there are some others. Oh, we have a recovery coach on our board who's really big in, in um, teaching our volunteers how to interact on the floor when there's 20 people in a room working and we know that some of them are active users some are new to recovery some have been in recovery for a long time and there's always triggers going around the room and people are saying things we always have a someone on the floor that can kind of redirect conversations and kind of help with some of that so we have a lot of great partners nonprofit partners as well as um, for-profit companies that that really are supportive of the work we're doing so you guys are a bit of a hub for all this stuff it's all kind of flowing in and out with all these different pieces of the community. So with that being said, like what's, what's the next step? What's the- yeah, good question. We, uh, again, I mean, five years ago, it was Wendy and I in Madison. <laughs> you know, we were kind of teaching the concepts and interacting with folks and just uh, talking about the dangers of giving to panhandlers and a lot of that kind of stuff until we actually put 
things into place where the public can kind of come in and see it happening. You know, the city came in to our coffee shop, saw that we have homeless folks that are serving coffee and roasting and stuff. They're like, this is a great concept, you know. So it was really the importance of us having a structure and actually have a place where people could see it. It, the good thing about it is they're getting, we're getting a little more attention, getting more people involved. Uh, the social enterprise concept is cool. Instead of us coming to Grace Church and saying, hey, uh, pastor, give us some money so we can give it to the poor. It's uh, the idea about, you know, buy coffee from us so we can employ folks to generate income to help more folks kind of stuff. That whole, that whole concept's really cool, but it's growing quicker and we can keep up. But we still don't have the funds to make it through the month, you know, so we kind of struggle with that. But structurally wise, we have a uh, church in the garden, which we use interface a lot for that, which is kind of getting big. We have a warehouse offsite that somebody's letting us use where Closet Made will drop off pallets and pallets of product. And then we're back and forth to the trailer and pickup trucks and stuff, getting them to the our job center where we can have people work and then taking finished boxes back. We have a coffee shop where we're roasting and dropping off bags of coffee and shipping and stuff. It's kind of getting intense and we're busting at the seams as it is. Again, we're wanting to take on more work, but we are exceeding our occupancy limits already <laughs> in our center. <laughs> Sounds like And we really hate spending money on overhead. <laughs> so our dream, and we kind of are just waiting for God to show his face again, is we're making a play for a large brick building. It's over, I don't know if you're familiar with the area. Anybody know where the Interfaith is? Where the soup kitchen is, kind of downtown there? There's a Mexican restaurant there right at like First Street, I guess, off the boulevard, um, right down there at the end of that road. There's a big old brick building that's been abandoned for years and it's perfect for us. I mean, it's a... It's a mess. It's a mess. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> love it. Which is perfect. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. that. Yeah. We love getting in messy. So, I mean, we've been praying for that. We uh, kind of had our eye on it for a couple of years and uh, we... Brought our board there about a month and a half ago, and they're like, "All right, let's make, let's go for it," you know. And um, met, uh, had a meeting, and the board says, "Let's make a play for it." So we actually put an offer in, found that was already under contract. Um, so we're waiting. We have another thirty days to see if it actually doesn't close. City wants us there. Interfaith wants us there. It's kind of more of a hub for where a lot of our folks live and could get to us easily and stuff. And so, but you know, uh, you know what happened if it's a big guy's plan. If not, we'll continue to charge forward. But yeah. but to be able to have all that in one location where we can employ three times as many people would be wonderful. We currently have 60 clients on our caseload right now that are working for us every week. We have about 40 very active volunteers. Um, we have, you know, lots of coffee customers all over the country. We have businesses that, and other nonprofits that we partner with. So it's, it's getting to be a pretty large operation and to have a central um, hub is a great word thank you for that word but a, a, a central place where we can kind of perform everything would just it just helpful. seems like the admin tasks alone would be pretty daunting <laughs> well it's amazing how as you step into faith and stuff how God has prepped us for this thing I mean I ran lawn care and pest control companies which was a lot of spreadsheets and tracking <laughs> stuff you know I mean I was a numbers nerd you know and, she, and she's an organizational nerd you know and a design kind of nerd and stuff so we kind of do it and we try to do as much as we can so we have kind of an accountant that volunteers his time once a year but all the other stuff we kind of manage ourselves and it's pretty but, cool but being able to look back over our all of our jobs that we've done all the things that, that god has taught us along the way even before we were following him 
all of the things that we learned have brought us to this point. Like we're using all of the skills and all of the gifts and assets that he's given us are being put to use now in some way. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, right? <laughs> but she's not telling me not to, but I mean, uh, Marion County Homeless Council, you know, they have government funding of how much, how big is their budget? Oh, it's big. Quarter million dollars. They're housing currently seven people. Yeah. Seven families. I mean, we have no government funding. We are totally funded by uh, churches and individuals. We started it back 10 years ago when we started this, and we have 11 families in housing, 13 families in housing, 60 plus clients that are earning a crazy amount of money. You know, so it's been really cool because it's it's the church kind of coming together to do it, which has been really cool, you know. Um, and so. God continuing to bless. For, for someone maybe listening to this, you know, they're, you know, maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit's tugging at a little bit, and they're saying, okay, how, how can I help? How can I partner? What would you say to someone who, who wanted to uh, possibly give, get involved? What, what would be a way that they could help? Yeah. Well, one first thing I would say, um, we don't have an option not to serve. You know, um, Jesus, just as he's approaching the days of the cross there, he's asked the, greatest, the question, greatest commandment, right? Love God, love others. And that's really what kind of stopped us in our tracks. I mean, how do you get past that, you know? I know there's a lot of commandments and there's a lot of laws and rules, but how do you get past love God, love others? So you've got to kind of do that. And he's prepped you, regardless of what you're doing right now for today, for you to put your situations to love others. You know, and you can't love him unless you're seeking to love those that he loves, which is everybody puts in your path. So you've got to do that whether it's with us or with somebody else or with some, your neighbor, whatever it is, you've got to seek to love those people. Um, we need help constantly, financially. Um, if you drink coffee, you shouldn't be drinking Folgers or Starbucks. <laughs> you should be drinking the Roasters, yeah. Just because that automatically. I mean, we have a restaurant in town that's gonna start using our, our coffee, which is gonna increase our numbers to 14 people housed. You know, so every one of those bags, it just has an instant effect, which is really nice. So if you're able to buy a bag of coffee a month, you know, if you're able to volunteer, that'd be awesome too. Biggest thing you can do from where you're at is pray for us. Because again, we are flawed people trying to help flawed people. Yep. You know, we're not doing it right. We're seeking to love. So continue to pray for us to keep us on the right track, put people on our path that we can show the love of Jesus to. So they, um, you know, move towards that direction. Not our job to make people not homeless. Uh, people ask us all the time, how many lost people are homeless now since you guys started? Don't care. You know, somebody walks in the door, we seek to love them. That's our, that's our job. We love, he, he does the changing to, to the change. So. That's powerful. Powerful God. Yeah, you're not kidding. No. Wow. Watching, uh, just in the brief time we've had this morning, it's so evident you're, what you were just talking about, how God has placed you guys throughout your lives and how he has equipped you through your business, through your administrative mindset, through all of these things to put you in the place that he has you. And I just I just think that that's so tangible to see in you guys and to see, okay, you, the same God who's doing this stuff is calling us to love, right? And thank you for sharing your your, your, your testimony, your ministry, your, your everything with us this morning. Thank you for the partnership that you guys are. Thank you for having us. And um, it's very evident that the Holy Spirit's hanging out here. Mm -hmm. So you can feel it. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So I'm going to come back and pray for you. Please do. Um,
Father in heaven, Lord, um, thank you so much for, uh, for what you did in this family's life. Once again, it's just a powerful, powerful testimony of you meeting someone, halting them in their tracks and saying, I have something else for you. And quite frankly, to the world, it's going to look insane. But it's what I have for you. And to see how these two have followed you and how their daughter came along for the ride and how you made yourself more real in their lives by their ministry. And not only that, but then you've affected so many lives through their work and through your Holy Spirit. Lord, you are good. You've shown yourself strong once again. We thank you for the opportunity to meet them this morning. And Lord, we lift up their ministry that you've equipped them for now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.